misunderstood. Yeah. Some say that he's up to no good around the neighborhood. Revolve your information. A lot of my brothers got education. Now check it. You got your Wall Street brother. Your blue collar brother. You're down for whatever chilling on the corner brother. My name is Lalu Davies Yemington, and you're listening to My Brother Podcast. The automobile was invented in the early 1900s. Since that time, uh, the use of oil and gas has been significantly expanded from minor uses within households to something that's become ubiquitous in our daily lives. From buying gas uh, to gasoline, that is, to put in our our vehicles, to natural gas that's used in generating power for our homes. Shell Oil Company has been on the forefront of and one of the leading companies in that industry. My guest today is Frazier Wilson, who's Vice President of Shell Oil Company Foundation and the Director of Workforce Development and Diversity Outreach. Frazier, thank you for coming on today. Lalu, thanks for the invitation. Absolutely, it's so good to have you on. I'll let you start out with just an introduction of yourself, who you are and sort of uh, how you wound up to where you are today. Okay. So I'm a 25-year Shell employee, uh, started as, as an accountant, had the great opportunity to be involved in developing Shell's outreach strategy for workforce, as well as our engagement with diversity. Uh, prior to my experience with Shell, I was a special education teacher, so gained a lot of appreciation for the education sector and how it connects with business and have just been an advocate for students, teachers, and workforce in helping individuals achieve their goals through economic uh, opportunities through our sector. Fraser, that's absolutely incredible. Now, you've had quite a tenure at, at Shell. I mean, when you hear of people being at the same company uh, for 20 plus years, that's increasingly a rarity uh, these days. So, so for that, I commend you. But I'm more interested in what the story was prior to Shell. Uh, I, obviously, we're, we're personal friends and I've gotten to know uh, quite a bit about your background, but I want our listeners to kind of hear a little bit more about sort of the foundation of, of, of Frazier. Uh, you're from Mississippi. So why don't you speak a little bit about where you're from in Mississippi and your upbringing and early okay. years. Okay. So my parents are both from Mississippi. My parents met in Illinois. My dad got drafted. So he was in Germany serving. And at the time my mom became pregnant and relocated, well, went back to Mississippi where mm-hmm. I was born. So at where, that time, where Mississippi was that? Vicksburg, Vicksburg. Vicksburg. Okay. Yeah. So my mom is from Vicksburg, uh, South Central. My dad is from the northern part of Mississippi, Waterford, Mississippi, right outside of Oxford, between Holly Springs, for those who know the area. Okay. So the family moved back to Illinois. That's where I eventually grew up. That's where our family continued to expand. And it was a to me, it was the best of both worlds. Growing up in Aurora, a very diverse city, uh, 30 minutes outside of Chicago, but with a lot of the flavor of the South. Uh, Chicago was a huge uh, migration place for those in the South. And right around 55, 57, Aurora was a great place to uh, relocate and settle because of the manufacturing industry 
We have a place like Caterpillar, uh, John Deere, uh, uh, food place like Nabisco. So there was a lot of opportunity for our families there too. A lot of families grew or able to prosper in that space. So it allowed for a great opportunity for me to see successful African-Americans, uh, working class African-Americans, and also to engage with other cultures who had similar experiences. So I say my experience in Aurora was one of the best things to prepare me for my work and also for the world in which we live, where you see a lot of different cultures sharing and engaging with a common goal and learning how to do it well. Got it, got it. So what are some some of your memories um, of experiences as um, a young boy growing up, uh, you know, that you grew up, whether it was lessons from what you learned from your parents or your experience in schools with teachers uh, or through sports or athletics? Can you share some of that? Yeah, so some of the early lessons that, that I realized was, uh, again, the inequality and the opportunity. As I shared, my family is, is from Mississippi. Uh, growing up in Aurora, the opportunities that were afforded them because of where they were in their education, typically were hourly hourly jobs, um, a lot of manual labor, uh, some some rough some rough times financially. But the foundation that was established was a sense of community about us working together because of the Miss, Mississippi roots and the number of people from Mississippi. It was always a sense of community, a sense of coming together to encourage. We always had that village mentality. Uh, we didn't have to look for people to watch the kids because the neighborhood watched the kids. Mm -hmm. uh, we celebrated everyone's achievements, but we also held it everyone accountable for our actions and activities. So inter interactions with law enforcement was not that great because we handled it amongst the family and the community, but it also instilled in us the importance of working to get ahead so that you can provide a better life for your family. Because like in most small towns, there's a dividing dividing place. Either it's downtown, the railroad tracks, the river, whatever you call it. And we had that same experience. I grew up on the east side of Aurora. Typically, it was a higher minority population, uh, lower income, uh, probably not the same educational uh, achievement. Uh, I participated in a program through the Urban League where I engaged more with individuals on the west side of town. Typically, more affluent, higher education levels, uh, better school systems. Uh, not big different being an East Aurora Tomcat. We're always the best. <laughs> but but being able to navigate and experience both sides, it instilled in me the importance of education and the opportunity that it would provide for me by staying focused and ensuring that I was able to provide opportunity for not only myself, but for my family to live a more comfortable and a better life. So those early lessons and experiences were paramount in helping to shape who I became and who I still aspire to be in this space as I work in the community and try to encourage others. Yeah. So you you born in Mississippi, you kind of migrated up the Mississippi River. Correct. And as you transition from sort of your formative years into adulthood, you migrate right back down to Mississippi to exactly. Jackson, 
to Jackson State University. So tell us a bit about that experience of the transformation from uh, being a young person to sort of early adulthood. Yeah, I would say Jackson State's probably going attending Jackson State's probably the best decision I, I ever made. Uh, as I shared, uh, I lived in a very diverse community and uh, higher level courses. Typically, you didn't see a lot of African-American males in those courses. So throughout my middle and high school years, I was one of few African-American males in, in my classes. So that experience of isolation also the expectation from your own to be that one to represent the group brought some additional uh, pressure and expectations from the community your church leaders your community leaders your, your family so working in that space and having teachers who went to hbcus as well as my uh, white teachers who encouraged me in this in this space. So as I was looking at my college choices, I had choices with all the, the major uh, PWIs. I chose a HBCU because of what I knew I would receive as a leader, developing as a leader. When I went to Jackson State, I went on an academic scholarship. I was in the honors program, and it gave me an opportunity to see other outstanding African-Americans excelling and who were smart. It made me realize and see I wasn't an anomaly in this space, that I had others who I could connect with and that we can share about our experiences, talk about the challenges we see in the world, what our view is, how can we change that, and what's our role to step out and encourage our peers to take an active voice and not be on the sideline. I mean, I love the experience. committed to HBCUs. I continue to go back. I support the two that I attended through endowments. Uh, I'm blessed to say that this fall, my son will be attending a HBCU. So I understand the importance of HBCUs to our community, to our development, and the role that they play in society. So it, it has definitely been the best experience. It allowed me to see the South again from a different vantage point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as yeah. well as balance that with my northern upbringing as well. So as it was the best of both worlds and it has definitely benefited me in business and in my personal life. All right, that's fantastic. And and a, and a testament to you uh not only following your intuition but sort of paying it forward and continue to lead by example by ushering your son in as the next generation um, of, of an HBCU grad from the Wilson family. I think that's just uh, uh, absolutely commendable. Now, you've talked about the HBCU experience, and, and I'm glad that you hit on some of the key factors about being around other African-Americans who are highly capable, highly skilled, who were motivated uh, and excelled. So you take that, you earn your degree uh, from uh, Jackson State, and you leave their arm, presumably with all that you felt you needed. So what happens next? What were the what were the next steps that you sort of took from there to get on the pathway to your current career? Okay. So I was recruited by Shell. I relocated to Houston, and. Jackson State in Houston had a 
and well, Jack State and Shell had a great track record of individuals being successful. Uh, several of us who were in the accounting and finance area, I think there at one time there were 20 of us from the period when I was at Jackson State who were employed at Shell. So it created already a sense of, of family. And the experience coming into Shell at the time, I was brought into a department that hadn't had an African-American male in over five years. Mm-hmm. And the individual who was there was a high flyer who was already far up the leadership track. So there was an expectation that I was the next high flyer. We had two totally different personalities. He would, the individual has, has since passed. He was more uh, assimilated into the culture more so than I, I was. And I brought some of the things from my experience of being at an HBCU and being strong and convicted in my uh, African-Americanism <laughs> and how, how that would play in corporate America. So essentially, I came in green. I brought my total self into the workplace flat top, the Malcolm glasses, the crazy, crazy socks. I mean, listening to my, my rap music at, at my desk, eating my eating my, my grits and things at the table. So I was just I was just being me. Mm-hmm. Not being conscious of others are assessing and making decisions about my future and capability and what I bring to the table based on those limited observations. So the early years, I'm, I'm there. they were difficult. Um, I felt that I was producing and contributing in a way that should have provided more opportunities. But at the time, the leadership that I was under didn't see it that way. So those were some learn, learning experiences. But uh, again, you take advantage of every opportunity. I said bad, indifferent, they're all great learning opportunities. So you look at it for what it, what it is and what it was. Initial experience was not that favorable, but I had two supervisors who really shared and gave me some insight. One uh, gentleman from South Africa. We, everyone has their performance reviews, so we're having a conversation about my performance and he said, you're doing great, didn't miss a beat, da-da-da-da-da. I'm saying, okay. I said, but how am I comparing with my peers? And we're engaging in this conversation. And I kept pressing him on that com- in that conversation. So he pulled out my work, work product. I said, looks great. Everything's accurate. You're accurate 100% of the time. I was like, exactly. Then he showed me my peers' work product. He said, yours is right and to the point. Hers is right and to the point, but it looks like it's ready for publication. The extra effort in the presentation makes the difference. It's just not about getting the job done. It's about how you present and how you carry. I said, but, aha, picked up the point. Other individual, African-American male from an HBCU, he shared. He said, you have to realize, even though you're the minority, you still have a, you have to make them comfortable with what you bring to the table. That's the, dude, makes no sense. He's like, 
they don't know how to engage with you because all they're seeing is this African-American male who they haven't had any experiences with until they get comfortable and connect with you on another level. You'll just be another worker to them in this space. So we have the exchange about what my role is and pulling them along and help them understand and watch it ESPN. And it, it resonated with me. Bill, Bill Russell was giving some remarks about playing in a basketball game. And he made the comment, there's a game to be played. If I must play the game, I might as well win. And that's the way I took the workplace. I said, look, I'm making a choice to play this game. These are the rules of the game. So if I'm going to play this game, I'm going to play this game to win. So I started figuring out those nuances and incorporating those into how I operated, still being true to who I am and what I want to accomplish. But it helped position me so that I could have more influence and continue to move forward in my career. So the first few years, I actually ended up leaving Shell after the first three years. That's when I went into education and came back four and a half years later. Totally different outlook and view. And my career has soared ever since from those experiences and things that I picked up along the way. Yeah. So a few things I I, uh, I picked up on in what you just described. Uh, and that's what I think why I think it matters is the, the, the decisions that we make or whether conscious or subconscious uh, can make such a difference. You understood for some reason to ask, uh, you know, there's a book I read, The Question Behind the Question. Right. Instead of you to ask the question behind the question to say, hey, how am I doing relative to my peers? And, and that's not to, it might have seemed, especially now in your career, it might seem like a no brainer, but that early on for most people in their career, they don't understand the importance of mm -hmm. really looking at the big picture, not just how did you review my work, but how right. do I compare with my peers, which indirectly what you were asking is how do I make myself stand out amongst my peers? So was that learned or was that just a function of your exposure? Part of, part of it was both, because even though I wasn't in an educational setting, I was still taking development courses and reading on my own personal time. So I actually was involved in a leadership development course. And that was one of the things. How do you prepare for, for leadership? You have to understand the culture, what the expectations are. And where the cheese is being moved, you know, you know that who moved my cheese, yeah. paying attention to the uh, times and the environment and where the company is going and where you are personally in that space. So that continued development and evolution helps spark that question and also give you the confidence to ask. Because if I think back to that Mississippi upbringing, it's about just work hard and you'll be recognized. And that's the way I operated. Then I realized, hold on, working hard is not getting me the results that I want. Yeah. I'm like, so again, and I didn't view myself as someone who just going to punch the clock. I saw myself as a leader. So if I see myself as a leader, I need to operate that way. 
and leaders bring about change. They create an environment where others can succeed as well. And I needed to ensure that I did that to make my supervisor's job easier, but also position myself to have more responsibility so that I can help others achieve their goals. Yeah. Before I left the first three years, I was responsible for training all the new hire accountants who were coming into the organization. But again, the aha moment, I trained all the new accountants. They were getting promoted and I wasn't. So obviously the leadership recognized that I knew the job well enough to train everyone, but there was something in their, in their uh, mind that indicated that I wasn't promotable. And that's where those conversations with the other two supervisors helped me to figure out what was, what was happening and how I needed to operate in this space to be successful and move forward. And I know those have to be difficult times, uh, but notwithstanding the difficulty, you you learned the lessons, mm-hmm. you reconciled what those things were, but then you made a decision, mm-hmm. uh, which seems to me like might have been a pivotal decision. What spurred on the decision to leave uh, and why education? Yeah. So a part of anger and feeling frustrated and then during this is right after the 80s early 90s oil bust severance severance the opportunity after going through that you you like the hell with this i'm out let me take the severance and move on to something else i've always had a passion for education i mean i've been mentoring and tutoring since I was in middle school. I did it at Jackson State, did it through my fraternal relationships, and I was still doing it even when I was at Shell. So provided an opportunity, I was single, no debt, opportunity to pursue education. So it was great timing. And I ended up in an area where there were a lot of African-American males, special ed. So, again, entering that space, understanding the importance of having a role model and also what was I gleaned from my community about the importance of education and provided just a, I mean, the time it couldn't have been better for me to be placed in that environment. Because, again, when I started teaching, that's really where I can started to really shine as a leader because I taught in the elementary setting. I was one of four African-American males at the school, the only one in special ed and the ability to inspire and encourage and help the school as well as the students and parents see the possibility and believe and commit to the work. Best job I've ever had in my life to this day. That's uh, that's incredible. And I know of your passion, uh, obviously, for education through a lot mm-hmm. of the other mentorship work that you do, which I'll have us. We'll touch up on that a little later in the interview. Uh, four and a half years into the uh, your uh, excursion uh, mm-hmm. as a teacher and you describe how fulfilling you found it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what changed or what, what what was the signal that said, hey, it's time to get back on the path that I was on and and subsequently, how did you put yourself in a position to thrive once you went back in? Okay. Opportunity. 
at the time I was uh, working on my mid-management certification, become a principal, become an administrator, and starting to work on my doctorate. And this was a few years after the L.A. riots where Rodney, Rodney King, uh, the police were acquitted of, of the beating. Yeah. Shell, Shell stations had been uh, destroyed. And in response to that, Shell built employment training centers for high school students to provide opportunities for the students in those communities. And they were going to open one in Houston, and they were looking for someone with a corporate background as well as an education background. Wow. So I was invited to interview for the opportunity, and that's how I ended back into corporate America. I mean, it was, it was tough leaving. But I understood the role and the opportunity to impact more lives across the system. And I even had the conversation with my pastor about leaving something that I truly enjoy. And he was like, are you comfortable? And he said, I said, I am. And he said, it's time to leave. And he said, you can't bring about great change if you continue to sit and be comfortable. This will challenge you. So I accepted the challenge and it's, it's been a great move. Hmm. Uh, you know, you, you just added another element um, about the role of spiritual advisors, um, which, again, I'm going to talk a bit about mentors and advisors uh, down the line. So you make this transition back. You start off in this role, which is a training role, which essentially matches the skill sets you've developed and we're continuing mm-hmm. to, to continue to develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, then what what you know, what were sort of the next steps? And 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 as you describe that, uh, I firmly believe that for a lot of us on our journey um, in climbing up the success ladder, there's sort of a turning point or pivotal or aha moment where you feel like, hey, I just might be well on my way. Uh, so I'm curious to see if you had one of those moments as you sort of transition back and, and you describe how, how that transition went to ultimately uh, guiding your path within Shell. But I, I'm also curious to see if there was that moment that you realize, hey, I'm on my way. Yeah. So uh, going back to Shell, starting the Shell Youth Training Academy, it, it was a test. It, it definitely was was a test. When I interviewed for the for the job, the the uh, plan was a hey, take a year, plan it out, get it up and running, and we'll move forward. Then once I got hired, we need you to make this happen in three months. So this went from developing curriculum, finding employers, finding a building, hiring teachers, uh, finding students, uh, the whole gamut. Being able to make that happen, and this had a lot of attention because of what was happening in our other uh, markets as a result of the LA riots and the opportunity for us to show up in an African-American community and show that we were committed to helping youth achieve their goals and even the attention from our overseas uh, leadership coming in, seeing what we were doing in this space. So I didn't realize that at the time that they had, uh, my leadership had so many eyes on them as a result of this project. 
but the ability to handle the community, the the leaders, and help them understand the importance of investing in the community and doing it in an authentic way, not trying to get the students to assimilate, but meet the students where they are mm-hmm. and show them the value and the opportunity and how doing things this way will produce these type of results. And even with our internal leadership, how they engage with our community, meeting them with our, and addressing their concerns and their needs and their interests and how that helps you build trust to achieve some of your some of your your goals and in that space what i realized being a servant being authentic and speaking truth to both sides and doing it in a way where people still felt comfortable i knew that was a niche and a power for me to move forward so i utilized that throughout my career as i continue to advance that has been the thing that has served me well in my career and i continue to move forward and from there it's just a matter of being honest and open and really demonstrating courage because as i've shared with several others who engage with senior leaders uh, the challenge of being a senior leader is people don't tell you what you need to know they tell you what they think you you want to hear yeah and i've never been comfortable with that because my my job is my job is to make your life easier and if you're getting blindsided and you're not getting the best information to make the best decision that means i failed you as as a leader in this space and again being able to be honest with people and move forward and having that courage it's it has served well so i, I encourage everyone to find that space find out who you are and find out how to operate in that space confidently and realize, yes, there's some trade-offs, but the rewards are much greater. Yeah. Uh, so the, and you're right, the, the you, you know, being authentic, I don't know uh, that it's something that's, you know, for some people it's innate, but I think that's definitely a lesson that so many more people need to learn because I think they're, you know, authenticity for some folks is just innate, uh, right. but it could also be learned. And I think right. uh, applying authenticity in the workplace, that's a recurring theme, you know, from when right. you first started out, uh, even from being in college, it seems like that's a uh, a recurring theme in your life and, and journey. Um, and as you go through all these transitions, and, and I had no idea um, of, of this segment of of how corporate America had to make adjustments uh, in, rea- in real time. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. incredible to think about what we're dealing with, where we're in the midst of a pandemic at the moment. Right. Uh, yet we're at the start of June 2020 and so many American cities, cities are in upheaval uh, more so. I mean, I can't think of a time because I don't even think 92 got this bad. I think the the most recent reference anyone can look to is 1968 during the race riots that ultimately engulfed uh, America during the summer. It was the same year Martin Luther King was assassinated and later uh, that year, Bobby Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's it's just and when you say that, I think about the need for authenticity in the present day moment 
uh, that we're in, and you haven't demonstrated that throughout your career again. Uh, it's it's indeed admirable and something I think more people uh, ought to adapt into mm-hmm. sort of their their modus operandi. Uh, what was that position that you might have taken on down the line in Shaw that really first thrust you in, in a real sense in in I guess upper leadership? And might you you know perhaps elaborate on how that role came about? Right. So after my work with the Shell Youth Training Academy, the restructuring was occurring. We're assessing our commitment to the community. Where can we add the most business value and help the organization move forward? Did an assessment of our external position and giving. So I was part of the team that worked on those efforts, and we identified some key drivers that would be impediments to our business. And one was workforce. So workforce, supplier diversity, uh, environmental opportunities, and the strategic partnerships in that space. So I worked in those areas that had the opportunity to lead the workforce development area. And working in that space, looking at our track record and our outreach with women and people of color, looking at our key uh, talent needs on the technical side of the house and where we were getting talent and what was the attrition rate within the company, it provided an opportunity to really speak to the bottom line because of your competitive advantage as a company is your talent. And if you can't attract and retain the best talent, uh, you won't be successful that long. Mm-hmm. Uh, additionally, when you look at it, what is the community saying about your efforts? How are you treating their best when they send them to you? How are they advancing? How are you developing them in that space? So it provided an opportunity to engage with key leaders who I typically wouldn't get the opportunity to be in the room with to talk about the feedback I'm receiving from employees, what I'm hearing from the community, what I'm hearing from the universities and undergrads about our efforts and the space here, and to challenge some assumptions and also make them take notice that the way you see and operate, particularly uh, white males, is not the way the rest of the world is receiving your message. And the largest available pool of talent is women and minorities. So why would you not invest more effort to ensure that we can compete with this population if we want to be successful? So being able to articulate that message really goes back to speaking to the causes and importance of diversity and inclusion, but also test that message and actually help weed out those who are obstacles to the internal success and development and growth of the company. So, I mean, it, it was a it was a great space to be in leading our workforce efforts. I mean, just to be engaged in that level of conversation and getting the raw data to support it and just the shock and being trusted in that space. At, the, at that time, I again, I knew that I've as you say, you, you get that halo, you get the halo effect. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're a rock star at that point because they're mm-hmm. pulling you in for those conversations. Yeah. Now it's upon you to continue to develop and stay humble, but also stay connected and move forward in this space. 
Yeah, it's um, that halo moment indeed. But I keep going back to what you said early in your career. You saw yourself as a leader. And I think that's such a critical piece. Uh, too often, I think people in the workplace just see themselves as being a, a task-oriented employee without really taking into consideration the big picture, you know, right. the big picture being really how does the company make money? What is right. the company's objective? What are they trying to do? And how does your piece contribute to a larger uh, piece? And it seems like at this, your halo moment, you're now in the room um, and, and, and it's apparent to you how having that kind of vision and, and really innately seeing yourself as that, it eventually manifested that. What were some of the difficulties now that you're a rock star, now that you have some limelight on you, I'm sure there's a new set of considerations and perhaps hurdles that you have to overcome. What were some of that uh, that you might be comfortable sharing and, mm-hmm. and how did you go about and what were some of the lessons learned through that process? Yeah, and some of the, the obstacles when you have set the bar that high because you typically are an individual contributor, you make things happen and you're constantly on the go making things happen. So you become everyone's go-to person eventually the plate gets gets overloaded and you have to learn how to push back or develop others in that space and my mentality at the time going through that i always treated my job as if i was an entrepreneur every job i'm trying to bring value so that i can succeed as a corporation i did not treat the job as me working for the corporation i treat it as a corporation working for me so how can i get value from this time that I'm giving to the corporation. So as my plate continued to grow, I realized that I need to get more focused and help shape the messaging for my leaders to help them get more focused in what they wanted. Because again, as a leader, sometimes I realize some things need to be done, but it doesn't need to be you doing it. So I wanted to ensure that my time was value added and that it would continue to position me to help move move the agenda so that some of the toughest things were saying no and also being able to uh, refocus and redirect the conversation with leaders. I know you asked for this, but let's be clear on what you're really trying to get to so we can make sure we're taking the appropriate steps. So being comfortable asking those questions, just not running off, taking on tasks without understanding the big picture. That big picture is key and realizing you're not going to get all the answers from just one source and just from one industry. I didn't focus on the oil and gas industry. I looked at what was happening in retail, what was happening in the other consumer spaces, other forms of energy and education, what was happening Mm -hmm. in government, just to get some insight because they might have some approaches and best practices that we hadn't applied in our space that can be the game changer in this space. And also talking to other functions. Again, I came through the accounting space. I just didn't talk to accountants and I didn't allow degree or position to influence who I talked to. 
because one of the things that I learned early on when I came into the organization, the support staff, non-degree women who had been there for years, smartest, smartest heck. But because they didn't have a degree, the way the culture and system was set up, they didn't advance. Mm. And they poured them in. They were clear. Look, we're going to make it real clear. You're not smarter than us. You've had the opportunity. I said, bet. I'm not smarter than you. But with this opportunity, watch what I can do with it and how I can move the agenda and help you be more successful. So, again, saying no, being focused learning from others in this space and then trying to balance the time because at that time I've gotten married and had a son. So balancing uh, life. So, so you want to strive and as the uh, leader of your household, you want to go out and continue to knock, knock down all those barriers and create those opportunities. But don't lose sight that your family needs your time and yeah. figuring out how to work that out. So I want to talk to you a bit about you talked about at the point that you're now in this leadership position. You now also developing leaders. And so mm-hmm. the issue of mentorship, um, I think, is vital. You have mentors and you have sponsors. Yep. And there's a difference there. So oh, yeah. why don't you share some of your thoughts on mentorship and sponsors and what some of your experiences might have been uh, where you were being mentored or or serving as a mentor. Right. Yeah. So uh, men- mentorship for me is, is is continuous learning and being open. Um, it's being a river, allowing things to flow through you in, in this space. And as I engage in the mentors who who I've been privileged to work with, they were open to share because I was receptive to the message and I would utilize what they were sharing. That's one of the things I share with people when you're looking for mentors, there's work. It's just not about you having access to me. And it's just not about the having a lunch or coffee. What work are you going to do on the front end and the back end to justify the time and experience that I've shared with you? So I never took that for granted. I realized the currency of the time with mentorship and how valuable that is in the space. When I look at sponsorship, as I share with people, the sponsorship is my endorsement and that's lending my name and putting it in the room before you show up to help provide an opportunity for you. I'll give you more time as a mentor before I'll give you my endorsement as a sponsor Mm. because as a sponsor that means you have shown that you have the muster to make things happen and you're going to do what you need to to represent and produce the results so when you're looking for sponsorship you're looking for someone who has assessed what you bring to the table and they're willing to put their name on the line for you i take that much more seriously than I do in mentorship because mentorship, you have a choice sponsorship. I'm <laughs> essentially making a choice for you to endorse you in that room. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So individuals got to understand it's not personal. It's that you haven't shown me. And 
when you show, you're rewarded for that because now I'm going to support you some, but I'm expecting the work has been done if if I'm sponsoring you in in the room and continue to advocate. So it's, you just got to understand what you're asking for when you're looking for that mentor sponsorship relationship. Any tips on how people should um, approach trying to seek out those relationships? I mean, I, 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 I recall in an interview, uh, uh, you know, the, the guests being interviewed talked about, you know, they meet someone and within the first five minutes are asking, Hey, I want you to be my mentor. And they're like, well, yeah. you know, <laughs> you mean you want to get to know who I am first before you right. can, uh, make right. a request. So what are some tips that you might suggest as to how it's best right. to go about seeking those relationships out? All right. I, I think it is finding a common interest or something that you can engage that individual what you're seeking for a mentor. Uh, seeking a mentorship is not, it's not like co- collecting jewelry and things. Oh, I got this. I got this nice watch. I got this. You don't collect mentors. Mentorship is a commitment. This is our this your workout plan this your meal plan <laughs> what is it that you're committing to in this in this space so when you start asking the question uh, about being a mentor find that common thread uh, or or even it might be the uncommon things some of my best mentors were individuals that i didn't have anything in common with so we could bridge and share that cross that uh, barrier to have a better understanding mm-hmm. as a result of that it became more of a personal relationship, that personal connection. So find something that you can provide to that mentor as well as what you can receive. That one-sided relationships and mentoring, they, they don't work. And sometimes it's not about the professional side. It might be about uh, the personal side that individual is looking to connect on. Like some of my uh, mentor relationships as started as business for me, but what I realized that person needed, hey, they had just lost a son mm-hmm. and they needed a connection or someone to talk to and share, share some things with. They had just had an experience with a person of color that they're struggling with trying to understand. That was a connection point. So you find a connection point to help give you something to pull back and keep the relationship going and also you gotta make sure it's mutually beneficial if it's not it's not sustainable and you got to commit to doing the work on the front end because my mentoring relationship i don't reach out to them they reach out to me so i can see if they're serious once i see they're serious then i make the investment of checking in and doing my part essential you talked about how relationships bridge over into personal in uh, as much as so many of us uh, tend to be defined by our careers, uh, the real bedrock of who we are is our family foundation. Right. How, how much uh, of a role would you say your family uh, structure and support um, has played in your career achievements? Yeah. Uh, my, my family has been essential to my success. I mean, Early in the early part of my career, I wasn't married, but when my career started to take off, I was married with a child. And my wife was was 
rolling in her career. She was a high flyer and I was committed to being there for my son. And we had to have some serious conversations about time, the time commitment, what our expectations were, what what our values are as a family, how important was our career going to be to each of us. Sometimes I had to take the off ramp. Sometimes she had to take the off ramp, but my wife's support and my kids understanding and love were key, but also acknowledging when I needed to pull back and be comfortable pushing back at work. Because again, I, I think men struggle with pushing back at work. And I think still some of the norm is that the woman will carry most of the child rearing and house activity. And I came from a family, my father passed when I was 13. My mom made things happen. I saw the wear and tear that that put on her. I was not going to allow that to happen with my wife, with me being here, but just not present. So you make a conscious decision to be engaged with your family. It's just not about being a provider. It's also being a participant in the in the lives of your wife and your kids. You don't want to look back and when you look at the family pictures over the 30 plus years when you're getting together with your grandkids. And you don't see yourself in any other pictures because you were always at work. Yeah. Yeah. And so in, in examining that challenge and difficulty that, you know, men in particular, especially career driven, a type personalities have in saying no uh, to so many things that are pulling at your time. Uh, you're quite active. Uh, you serve on numerous boards. There are a number of organizations that you're involved with that don't show up on any kind of bio or resume of yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do you juggle? What, how do you decide where, uh, which, where to get involved, how mm-hmm. much you commit to that, and how do you balance all of that against all the other demands of your, you know, what I, your paid job in addition to family mm-hmm. and everything else you have going on? Yeah. So early in my career and marriage and family, I didn't do a good job with that. I was involved in so many organizations. It was taking taking this toll and keeping me out of the house. And my my wife and and my kids helped me with both. My wife said, I, I don't see you. And I was riding with my son one day and a plane went by and he said, Dad, are you about to leave again? Mm. I was like, Wow. So hearing that, I made a choice that that's not how I want my legacy to be with my family is that dad provided, but dad wasn't here. So when I started assessing the organizations that I would continue to be involved in, I looked at, do you really need me? And cause sometimes I knew the reason they reached out to me cause they need an African-American representative or they were trying to get access to shale or they needed my knowledge or they needed my dollars. So I assessed on those priorities and where I was at the time and what I was willing to give. And now I've gotten to the point where if I'm participating, it's because you need a strategic leader. If you're looking for me to do a lot of the heavy lifting, I'm not at that stage of my career anymore. That's what's earlier in my career. 
uh, you're looking for access. That depends on if I really value the mission and if I see a leader who is living the mission of the organization who operates with integrity in that space. So that determines which organizations I get involved in. And then I also made a commitment to my family that I wouldn't be involved in more than four four organizations. So trying to hold true to that because I understand that involvement and I want to be fully engaged in the organizations that I lend my name to. So that helps drive a lot of my efforts around how do I decide which organizations I want to support. They say the higher you climb, uh, the thinner the air gets up there. Mm -hmm. And so the more you move up as a leader, uh, the more challenging it could be to have, you know, people who can really edify you in a meaningful way that stretch you uh, be, beyond what, where you've been stretched so far. So who do you currently use as your sounding boards? Well, my pastor continues to be one of my sounding boards. There, I have other African-American peers who are at senior levels within their companies. And even continuing my conversation with my mom and my brothers, keeping me grounded in that space. And I have some some other friends through nonprofit. Some of the guys when I first started at Shell who are at different spaces. Just again that accountability, just staying connected. So I'm always looking for someone who I'm trying to stay to their level. Those who are on my level and those who are trying to move up to my level, just so I can keep that circle of influence and access and that network together. That's been so key in keeping me balanced in, in this space. And it's essential because, again, as you share, once you get to a, a certain position, even though you don't feel that you've changed, others' views of you may change and how they interact with you will be different. Yeah. But, but the other piece, we do change some because our access experiences and the things that we encounter on a daily basis, it's going to change you. So you have to ensure that you stay connected so that you can maintain your focus and ensure that your values don't don't shift. And also to check yourself, because sometimes we might have a momentary moment where we just lose sight and we might not have handled the situation the way we would have if we had been a little bit more refreshed and stepped back. Sure, sure. Um, are there one or two decisions that you look back on and say, man, I wish I had done this or man, maybe I shouldn't have made those decisions. Uh, are there some of those that, that really stand out? I mean, we all have those day in and day out, but are there one or two that really stand out that might've been pivotal along the journey? Right. In hindsight, I wish I had pursued, pursued an engineering degree instead of accounting. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> yeah, so that that's that's going that's going back. Um, yeah, really, I just man, I just got tired of the math. Man, the math was kicking my butt. No, I'm not even gonna lie, but I should I should have persevered through yeah. it. I think it would have definitely put me in a different trajectory, and also what I would have been able to contribute to the community by pulling that that piece together. Yeah. That's that's one. Um, the other 
really, it's probably I probably should have been more mobile. And I travel a lot, but again, most of most of my career has really been in Houston. I yeah. just travel a lot, so I think it probably would have been a good experience for me and for my family to have moved around a little little bit. But yeah, again, it's if a good life. If I can explore that first one a bit more, um, the decision to perhaps have pursued um, a degree in engineering, in my mind, would have put you on the production side or the money-making side of the business. How important is it to make that distinction between, especially in the corporate setting, being on the money-making side of the business uh, and rather than saying being on the cost side, I'll say versus not being on the money making side. And being overhead. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, business is in the business to make money. I said, I enjoy, I enjoy business. I I enjoy everything about business, the art, the strategy, the, the marketing piece, figuring that all out. In my role as an accountant, everyone doesn't always see the accountant as being a, being a contributor to that. You just help us with budgeting. But being on the engineering side of the house, you actually see how the product gets made. You see the, the margins. You, you see the decisions that need to be made on a daily basis that impact our productivity and our revenue and profitability every day. The things that you see on the accounting side, it's at best monthly yeah. but on that production side of the house daily you know if you add it to the bottom line or you took away from the bottom line and just to engage with individuals at that level gives you a different appreciation for the business a different understanding and the dialogue is different when you're talking to regulators or when you're talking to community groups or you talk to economists in this space you just have a totally different understanding on how the business actually operates. And I think with my ability to connect the dots for people to help them understand, I think I could have definitely been a trailblazer in this space. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's those uh, essential lessons, which is part of why, you know, we, we have my brother podcast is to try yeah. to help people um, have perspective that, a lot of times we don't have early on in our careers and it takes some of us a lot longer. Some never get that perspective. Uh, right. But that said, in addition to perhaps getting a degree in engineering and being more mobile, what piece of advice, if you could go back, would you go to a, to, would you offer to a 20 or 25 year old version of Frazier Wilson? Hmm. <laughs> Enjoy life more. Hmm. And in my 20s, I was so serious and so focused and we're really more concerned about not disappointing family and community. I carried a burden that I didn't need to carry. I should have enjoyed life because you don't get that time back. And once you start getting serious into your life, that's not the time when you take a detour <laughs> to try to relive that time. Yeah. So, so enjoy the moment and realize it's a moment it it will pass so there are not many things that we do that are permanent and just don't take yourself so seriously 
but also have an eye on the future and continue your self-development. So that's definitely the message I would have shared with myself because I was too serious during my 20s. Yeah, but well, it pays off, that seriousness, but the balance yeah. is definitely um, yeah. worthy. Um, what's next on the horizon for you uh, and maybe some closing remarks? Okay. So at this stage, I have a son who will be a freshman in college and a daughter who will be a freshman in high school. Mm. So I'm looking forward to this time, uh, both anticipate with joy and with fear as well, understanding that transition with my daughter entering their high school years through, through that space and what that means for her and my son um, leaving the nest and what that means for for my family um i just want to ensure that i'm available for them in that in that space and make sure i tap the wisdom of those who've gone before me who lived through this make sure we all come out strong but also in my career just looking for what can i do to help position others to replace me in that space but also ex exceed what I've been able to accomplish and how do I continue to contribute and share what I've learned with others in a way that they can receive it. Because again, my experiences are not those of the individuals that I encounter now. So again, make sure I don't come across as the old man, but be open and continue learning as I make my transition to a life of relaxation in this space. Here, here. You know, leading through authenticity, courage, and honesty. Mm -hmm. Our guest today has been Frazier Wilson, Vice President for the Shell Oil Company Foundation. My name is Lalu Davis Yamaton, and you've been listening to my brother podcast. Oh.